recently heard a story about some doctors in Australia who wanted to figure out uh, kind of the true effects of sunscreen. And so how many of you guys growing up, your mom kind of got on you to wear sunscreen whenever you went outside, we're going to go, yeah, kind of be out there. And there's a lot of myths about sunscreen that anything above SPF 50 is actually doesn't really work isn't needed. And so they, they kind of set out, um, you know, Australia being an outdoor type community, a lot of beaches, a lot of surfing, they, they tried to figure out, okay, well, well, what is actually going to make a difference? Because they found that, uh, and we sometimes know this as well, that, that UV exposure is the number one cause for aging outside of stress. And so what, what kind of amount of sunscreen actually makes a difference if you want to slow the aging process? And so, so they took two groups of people, one group of people, uh, they said, hey, we want you to get you some SPF 50. So get you some of the strong stuff, but only put it on when you feel like you absolutely need it. You know you're going to be at the beach for the day. You know you're going to be at the zoo walking around, but only put on the SPF 50 the days that you feel like it is absolutely 100% necessary. The other group of people, they said, we want you to get some SPF 15, and we just want you to put it on every single day, no matter what, whether you're going outside for five minutes, for a couple hours, or not at all, just get in the habit of putting on SPF 15. And after five years, they took pictures of people at the front end, took pictures of people at the back end, and the results were staggering. The people who had put on the, the 50, just whenever they felt like they needed it, aged pretty dramatically. They had some sunspots, some of them who were out in the sun a lot, definitely seemed like they aged more than five years. But then they showed the pictures of the people who put on the SPF 15 each and every day, no matter what. And some of them didn't look like they had aged a day. Some of them somehow miraculously even looked younger. And what they found out was putting on sunscreen, that, that simple habit of doing that small thing each and every day made a monumental difference. Now, for me growing up, growing up in Southern California, going to the beach, uh, putting on sunscreen was a pretty big thing that my mom got on to me about. And maybe there were some things that, uh, advice, if we will, that was given to you as a kid that looking back, you might say, I, I kind of wish I followed that sooner. Anybody have some of those? As you get older, you're kind of like, ah, I should have listened to mom and dad a little bit more. One of the things my mom used to say, I guess I ate Twinkies a bunch as a kid, was if you don't stop eating Twinkies, you're going to turn into one. And it's been 20-something years since I've had a Twinkie, so I thought I would kind of break the seal with you guys this morning um, and, and have it and just see if I actually turn into a Twinkie. Don't really know what's inside of it. They say that you could open a Twinkie, leave it on a shelf for six months, and it wouldn't change. That's kind of disgusting. So uh, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to actually eat this because I think Twinkies are gross. But anybody out there like Twinkies? You want one this morning? There you go. I don't know. Sorry. Anybody else over here? Twinkie? There you go. Congratulations. Welcome to 2024. Starting off strong. Yeah. You know, this one of the things my mom said, if you do this enough, you're going to actually turn into that. We all have advice that was given to the, our younger selves that we say, man, I wish I would have listened to that five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30, 60, 70 years ago. I found a couple people who wanted to share some life advice uh, with the world. Uh, this is going to be helpful for us with the impending weather the coming week. But if you ever want to figure out how do I actually drive smart in, in snowy, icy weather, this person uh, shares that if you are if you rarely drive on snow, just pretend you're taking grandma to church. There's a platter of biscuits and two gallons of sweet tea glass jars in the back seat, and she's wearing a new dress holding a crock pot full of gravy. 
We want, we want grandma to look good when she gets to church. This person uh, used their clothing uh, brand and they put this in the tag inside their shirt. Here's their normal washing instructions, but then it says this. Here's life instructions, kind of hard to see, but it says lawyer up, delete Facebook, and hit the gym. So this person's like, hey, if you want my best advice in life, here, here it is. And so I'm curious for you, what might be some, some advice that, that you got as a kid? I want you to take a few moments, share that with somebody next to you. Uh, what's some advice you got as a kid or younger that you wish you would have followed? If you're joining us online, we'd love for you to put that in the chat. What's some advice that perhaps you would have listened to sooner? You know, one of the things that uh, you may have thought of was the idea of investing your money. A lot of us uh, think, this, man, if I had just started when I was 20, 18 years old. And when we were learning about the power of compound interest in math class, they, they said, would you rather have a magic penny or a million dollars? I was like, okay, what does the magic penny do? And they said, this magic penny will double itself every day for a month. So which would you rather have, a magic penny or a million dollars? And you think to yourself on the surface, like, I don't know, would that penny be worth 20, 30 bucks by the end of the month? I mean, a penny is only one cent, a million dollars. Like, that's a lot of money. I could do a lot with a million dollars. And then you kind of start to compound the magic penny effects and you can break it down into a chart. Maybe you've heard this before. Maybe you've seen the power of the magic penny. But at day one, all the way to day 31, if that penny just doubled itself every day for one month, you'd be left with $10 million, $10.7 million. I'm not a mathematician, but I'm pretty sure that's more than $1 million, if you ask me. And then they say, if you just started on day two, you wouldn't have $10 million. You would have roughly half that. And here's where it gets crazy. If you waited until day 10, so you say, hey, I'm going to put it off for just a little bit. I'm going to start a third later than everybody else. Your magic penny would only be worth $20,000. It's crazy. The power of compound interest is a real thing. So let me welcome you to 2024, our first uh, church worship service, our first series, You in Five Years. I don't know if you're a New Year's resolution person, maybe you're a word of the year person, maybe you're just hashtag New Year, New Me, let's try to get it together a little bit more. But this year, I want us to begin thinking about what are some changes or adjustments? The new year comes, we all kind of naturally begin to maybe at least think and process this. What did I accomplish this year that I could accomplish more of next year? What did I hope I would have accomplished in 2023 that I'd love to get done in 2024? What are some habits? What are some things that maybe have crept into my life that I want to get out of my system in the next 12 months? This kind of year kind of gives us this, this fresh start to really think about how do I want to change in the next year, let alone five years. Think about where you might be in the next five years. In five years, I will be 40 years old. Some of you are like, wow, that's really, really old. Others of you are like, that's it? Uh, do we need to find a different church? Aren't pastors supposed to start pastoring it when they're like 50? Like, what's going on here? This is weird. In five years, where will you be? And maybe the better question is, say, where would you like to find yourself? How would you fill out this phrase then? Say, in five years, I desire myself to blank. I desire of myself in five years to blank. How would you fill in that blank? In five years. You say, I want to be a little bit uh, more financially stable in the next five years. I'm going to start putting on SPF 15. I want to reverse this aging process. That's going. My kids, they're driving me nuts. Can't do anything about that one, but maybe we can slow some of the wrinkles, right? 
In five years, you might say, I want to be more emotionally healthy. In five years, I want to finish my degree and have started a career. In five years, I want to have uh, gotten married, started a family. I want to have kids. I want to see them grow up. In five years, there's a particular habit that I want to be in place. There's a particular habit that if I'm still doing that in five years, I'm really not going to enjoy myself. I want to get that out of me, out of my system. Either way, no matter how you fill that in, that what do you desire you to be in five years, is going to take change starting now. And what I want to talk about in this series, I want to talk about today, is that if you make small changes consistently over time, you will receive the results you desire. There's that old adage that we typically overestimate what we accomplish, can accomplish in one year and underestimate what we can accomplish in five. Because here's the truth. You know this, deep down I know this, we need somebody to remind us of this, is that change, any change we want to make in life is a form of compound interest. The changes you want to make in life or the changes that happen to you in life, they're never fast or immediate, more often than not. It's a form of compound interest, slow, small habits that happen over and over and over and over and over again. Whether good or bad, small choices, habits, done over time, they add up to a tremendous amount. And so my hope for you, my hope for myself, my family, my wife, my kids, my hope for us as a faith community is that in five years, we can say we look dramatically different than we do right now. That we love Jesus more than ever, that our our witness, our presence to our community is palpable, that our worship is at the top of our lungs. Some of you might say in five years, I want to have a vibrant prayer life. It's pretty non-existent now, but in five years, I would hope that my prayer life is is one of the most important things about me. In five years, maybe you want to say, I want to have read through the Bible five or more times. Maybe you want to say, I want to have friendships. I want to have a community of other men or women in my life who are helping me follow and pursue. I'm done just talking about it. I'm done just pretending that I'm cool with Jesus. I want to begin living it out. Whatever it is, my hope, my prayer, our prayer for our entire church is that in five years, we would all say we look dramatically more in love with Jesus than we ever have before. But it's going to take a form of compound interest from you. It's going to take some consistency, some discipline, some changes, because nobody stumbles into the change they desire to become. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 13 this morning. Matthew chapter 13. Every single week, if you are new with us, we preach out of the word of God. We get into the word of God so that it can store up treasures in our hearts, in our soul. Matthew chapter 13. The book of Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. The Bible's broken into two parts. An Old Testament, the time before Jesus telling us about the need for him to come. And then the New Testament starts off with the biography of the life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then stuff that's pointing back to who Jesus was and what he accomplished. Matthew chapter 13, we're going to read some of Jesus' own words in which he is telling a group of people what is called a parable. A parable is a story that Jesus kind of told. He kind of made up more or less. But it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And in this notion, he's saying, there's something important I want you to hear, but, but because we tend to remember stories better than, than sermons, let's be honest, we tend to remember certain aspects of narrative better than we do, just do this, don't do that to have a good life. Jesus says, let me tell you something really, really, really important about my gospel, about my good news, about my eternal wisdom. 
You see, the word gospel means good news, but it doesn't just mean the good news about heaven someday. The gospel also talks about how to have a life full, abundant, here in now. Oftentimes we hear about the gospel message and we think about it as this thing that, well, gets me out of hell, gets me to heaven, great, check that box. When in reality, when Jesus says, I speak to you about my good news. I speak to you about the kingdom of God that has come and is trying to take over the world. What he's saying is, I want to show you what it means to live as a disciple because it is the best way to live this life. And so this is what Jesus said. One of his parables that he shares about what the gospel does, its importance and value in our lives. You might recognize this parable if you've been around church for some time. Matthew chapter 13, we're going to read verses 1 through 8. If you're there, say there. And here we go. It says, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and he sat by the lake, down to the lake, in a van, down by the river type of situation. Okay. And he says, such large crowds gathered around him. At this time, they believe, if not hundreds, thousands of people were following Jesus wherever he went. They wanted to witness his miracles. They wanted to hear his teachings. They got around him and he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told many of them things in parables. And he starts off with this one. He says, once upon a time, I added that part in, there was a farmer who went out to sow his seed. Your translation might just say there was a sower who sowed his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. Everybody say path. The birds came along and ate it. And some fell along the rocky places. Say rocky where it did not have much soil, it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they were withered because it had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, say thorns, say weeds, which grew up and it choked the plants. But still other seed fell on good soil, say good soil. Yeah, there you, you guys got it. Man, you're ready to go in 2024. It wasn't good soil, it was good soil, right? where it produced a crop, get this, 160 or 30 times what was sowed. Verse 9, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. All right, so here's Jesus. He's chilling with his homies. He's hanging out. He's like, I got some things to say. And he goes out into the corner of the Sea of Galilee. And there are so many people crowding him that he can't preach where he wants to preach. And so being God, being a sovereign creator, being part of the triune God, he knows that if he gets into a boat, he heads off a little bit offshore. There's a natural amphitheater, amphitheater, amphitheatra that he gets to partake in. And so he goes out into a boat. Could you imagine for a moment that you are the son of God, you want to have things to say, and there's so many people following you that you can't even preach where you want to preach. That's just one. There's that many people. And so he goes out into a boat and he goes offshore and he begins to say, all right, people, listen up. I want to tell you something important. I want to tell you something mind-blowing. I want to blow your socks off this morning. And they're all like, great, give it to us, okay? Give it to us, Jesus. What you got? What you got? And he says, once upon a time, there was a farmer. And they're like, okay, cool, chill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They weren't from the Midwest, but they knew what farmers were. Majority of people back then were somehow related to the ag culture. It was the number one form of currency. And so when Jesus gets up there and says, once upon a time there was a farmer, they're, they're like, yeah, check, got it, farm, farmer, got it, we know what that is. He's like, okay, cool, cool. And that farmer went out scattering his seed. And they're like, duh, that's what farmers do. They scatter seed. 
And yeah, so then we have this farmer, and he starts scattering his seed along the path. And that's when they were whoa! Hold up, Jesus. What kind of hack job farmer sower is this? Nobody in their right mind would take their precious seed and just scatter it so aimlessly. Jesus, no, 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 it gets better. And then he scattered some among the rocky stuff, you know, where it sprang up and then scorched. No, 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 Jesus, that's not how you scatter seed. And then he scattered some seed in a land lush full of weeds and thorns so that even if the good stuff grow, it could not survive because it'd be distracted and choked out. At this point, they're freaking out. Jesus... I don't want to even hear any more about this farmer because he clearly has no idea what he's doing. He doesn't have a John Deere or a Case or there's only two brands I know. He doesn't know what he's doing. He said, but there was, then he found some, some good soil. And he, and he harvested into the good soil. And in that good soil, 100-fold, 60-fold, 30-fold. See, people of agriculture know that your seed is precious. It's not just seed. It's your seed. It's your livelihood. It's your hope for a better tomorrow. It's the one thing that you can potentially rely on to feed your family, to take care of yourself, to set up something into the future. The seed is important. And so we have this seemingly unwise farmer who sows seed, scatters it seemingly aimlessly onto the path, into rocky ground, into thorn-infested fresh. If you were a farmer, even if you weren't a farmer, where would you choose to scatter your seed? Like, let's say somebody came to you, Farm Credit Bureau said, somebody left you a farm. Where do you want them to, to, to put the seed? You've been given this entire plot, you I don't know, the good soil. Well, you got some land over here in the middle of Chicago. Do you want to plant there? No. Well, how about over in Southern California in the scene? Well, no, nothing's going to grow there. Well, how about, I say, no, 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 find me some good soil. Because that's where seed belongs to grow. Because if I'm going to spend my time, my energy, my effort, if I'm going to have hope into a future that this will produce something of value to me, put it where it needs to go. So then Jesus closes with that statement. He who has ears, let him hear. That's Jesus' kind of secret phrase to say, are you listening? Did you read that twice, three times? Four times? Are you paying attention? And at this point, the, the hearers later on, he kind of goes through and he explains what this parable means. That the seed is the good news of my kingdom. It is the joy of my eternal life. And it causes everybody to take a step back and say, what is my soil? I hope I'm not the path where the wisdom of God has been scattered along in my life, but it's just been snatched up because it wasn't placed intentionally. I don't know, am I, am I, am I rocky soil? Like, did I get into the whole faith and church thing and buy into it for six months or a year, and I sprung up, and then I quickly dried out? 
because I continued in a certain way or I met new friends or I went off and I didn't stay rooted. I didn't have any roots. And so, so it looked good at first, but in reality, it just kind of died off. Am I, am I thorny soil? Weed-infested ground? Like when I read these, this parable, I was preparing for today and everything, and the Spirit was like, Eric, if there is one soil of your life that's not good soil, like good soil, it's that weedy stuff. Weeds are crazy, right? Like they just grow. You don't even want them. And they're just like, hey, what up? Like, we've been for like three years. I've been trying to get all the weeds out of our exterior of, of, of our home. And then finally at this point, we're just like, let's just kill everything. Like, let's just kill it all. I don't know what's good, what's not. Let's just kill everything because this is just getting annoying. Like, you, you pull the weeds and you come back like 24 hours later. It's like, surprise, there's six of us now. You thought you got rid of me, but no, you didn't. And the crazy thing about weeds is I didn't put them there. And I'm guessing the people who lived in our house before also didn't. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to really stick it to the people who buy our house next. I'm just going to plant weeds all over the place, see what happens. Drive them wild. You see, weeds, thorns, they're indigenous. They just naturally happen. And you talk to anybody with a green thumb, not me or my wife, but anybody else with a green thumb, they will tell you the amount of energy and effort it takes to keep a garden free of weeds. It's astronomical. The intentionality over time. But if you just go take a few small weeds a day, it's way different than if you let them grow for a week, a month, a year. The other crazy thing about weeds is they look good sometimes. I remember one time I went and I brought in my wife some flowers. It happens like once every three years. We were pulling weeds. I was like, look at these flowers. Isn't this crazy? And like, I'm pretty sure that's weed. I was like, no, no, it's purple. Pretty sure it's a flower. And so we took it to our neighbor. I was like, is this a weed or a flower? Settle a marital debate so we don't have to get counseling. And she was like, that's a weed. I was like, okay, cool. We're not friends anymore, but I'll go tell my wife. Sometimes weeds look good. They look like they're producing fruit or flowers, but in reality, they are there to soak up sunshine. They take away the good soil, the stuff you actually want to grow. So I was thinking about my life, the thorns, the weeds of, of my life. Maybe you can relate of stuff that's not bad per se, but it just like, kind of like naturally happens. Social media, screen time. Ugh. I wish it didn't tell me every day or every like Sunday. Busyness, lack of discipline, following the world standards, definitions of joy. Happiness, peace versus God's. You ever buy into the belief that, hey, I'll have more time next week. I'll be less busy next month. A couple years from now, I'll get around to that thing that I know is important. I just really can't right now. Those are weeds. Natural things. Things that you don't even know, but they're indigenous to your soul. That want to creep up and choke out anything that God wants to do. Because here's the thing that's interesting about this parable. Is you had the same sower sowing the same seed, but it had different results. The story is not there once upon a time was a farmer and he had four different types of seed. 
It's not that once upon a time there was four farmers who had one seed and they chose to do them different. No, no, there was one farmer with one seed, but depending on where it found its home, depending on where it laid to rest, made the world a difference. Because three of the four did absolutely nothing. Right? It doesn't matter if it's on the path, rocky soil, or thorn, weedy land. All three of those produced absolutely no fruit. So it doesn't matter if the good news was snatched up immediately. It doesn't matter if you flamed out or it doesn't matter if you're distracted living in weeds. Jesus says, if you want to follow my wisdom, if you want to follow my good news, if you want to follow my gospel, there's only one place and one place only you can. Let that take root and let it produce fruit in your life and that is in some good soil. It's only in some good soil. And good soil takes time to find, takes time to cultivate, takes intentionality. And the crazy thing about producing fruit is a lot of things take multiple seasons to produce fruit. So back in the ancient Middle East, arguably one of the number one uh, agricultural things that would have been everywhere was olives, right? Olive oil and everything that came along with it. Did you know that the average olive tree takes five years, five seasons before it produces its first olive? Some of you are like, yeah, we know. I didn't. I learned that this week. Five years. And along the way, Somebody who knows what they're doing has to cut and prune branches so that in anticipation, waiting for the fruit to come so that the branches are strong enough to hold and support the olives that are coming five years down the road. So I think in a very real way, Jesus is saying in this parable, I am offering you good news, eternal news. I am offering you a peace that surpasses all understanding. I'm going to show you a way of life. Do you have the time? to let it transform you? Are you cultivating a good soil in your heart and in your mind and in your relationships and in your budgets and in your schedules so that five years down the road, the fruit that I want to see developed in you has the strength to live? Jesus is on a boat from a massive crowd and this is the point he chooses to make first. What's the soil of your heart? And the change that we oftentimes desire requires time and intentionality. It requires a patience of small steps, one after another after another. You guys ever see the movie, What About Bob? Back in the like 90s, Bill Murray. And he goes, gets this counseling, and the whole movie is, you know, baby steps, right? Just one foot in front of the other, one foot. And that's the whole advice he follows. And he ends up driving his psychologist crazy. Great movie. He has a pet goldfish. Awesome. You should check it out. But it's that same idea of one tiny step in front of another. And so here's the question as we kind of apply this to our lives this morning that I want to ask you today is, do you trust the power of the Spirit's compound interest in your life? Do I have the patience to to want to desire the fruit of the Spirit in my life but understand that it's going to take time but it's also going to take intentionality? Let me put it this way. This is my main point for us this morning for this whole series is this, is that ongoing consistency beats sporadic intensity. Ongoing consistency for you in the next five years will beat sporadic intensity guaranteed and probably by a long shot. 
Albert Einstein said this about the power of compound interest. It was a kind of a pretty big quote, but he says, compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. He who understands it earns it. He who doesn't pays it. And let's take the financial component out of it and put it into a terms of, of eternal treasure. Compound interest of things of the soul, ongoing consistency trumps, beats every single time sporadic intensity. You can apply that to going to the gym. You can apply that to your studies, but it is certainly true of faith. The person who prays 15 minutes a day over five years is going to be so much closer to Jesus than the person who prays for an hour once a month. Ongoing consistency beats sporadic intensity. This is what the Apostle Paul writes about, you know, couple decades after Jesus about it. He says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. A lot of us probably need to consider that for a moment. But whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. He goes on. He says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest, 160, 30-fold, if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. So it's not just what are you sowing, and it's not just where are you sowing, It's how consistently are you sowing. But if you sow apple seeds, you can't expect to grow a watermelon. If you take care of your garden once every six months, you can't expect to bear any fruit either. So you in five years, let me break it down. Five years seems maybe like a lot of time to some of us, might seem like a a small, insignificant amount of time. But consistently sowing something over five years can yield big results. So here's five years broken down. Here's kind of how it breaks down for us all in the next five years. Five years is the same as 60 months, 260 weeks, 1,825 days, or a little bit over 43,000 hours. Five years. Here's some positive things, maybe just, I don't want to call them neutral things, good things that you can see happen in five years. Using something like Rosetta Stone, you could learn a new language in five years. Some of you, you could start and finish a college degree in five years with an extra year left over. Or if you're like me, you'll still be like a year or two away from finishing, okay? You could become proficient in a new skill. You could get really good at a new hobby in five years if you spend maybe an hour, 10, 20 minutes a day gardening, writing, Uh, cooking, pickleball, I don't know, whatever it is that you want. In five years, you could get really good at a hobby. If you decided to read just one book a month over the next five years, you will have read 60 books. Talk about some negative things. Maybe some weeds that you let grow or other things. You could have five different jobs in the next five years because your boss doesn't recognize you as the, the precious flower that you are and take care of you and so, you know, you got to find the next one, the next one, and the next one, the next one. You could spend 1,500 days grumbling and complaining at the office. If you smoked a pack of cigarettes a day, you will have smoked 36,000 cigarettes. Get this. This one was crazy. 
did the math on this one. If you just consumed 50 calories over your daily allotment, every single day, just 50 calories, that's like what, half of a fun-sized Snickers? 50 calories in five years, 50 calories a day, would alert to 30 pounds in five years. If you had just five hours of screen time every day for five years, that's 9,125 hours spent on the phone. So what about compound interest in things of the spirit? Sanctifying things, edifying things. If you committed to read just three chapters of the word of God every day for five years, you can read through the Bible five times. If you memorize just one verse a month, that'd be 60 verses in your arsenal to fight off sin and flesh that wants to easily entangle you. If you gathered weekly with a community, a cohort, a group, 260 opportunities to be encouraged and to be an encouragement to another. This one is wild. If you gave just $100 a week, that's $26,000 you could give away in five years. This one, this is something some of you might consider. If you saved $1 a day, you would have a little over $1,800. $1,800, you could by yourself fund a well for somebody in Africa, Papua New Guinea, somewhere on the other side of the world who desperately needs clean water. Get this one. If our entire church body, 800 plus people, we have closer to 1,000 now, whatever it is, if it called 800 people, saved and gave $1 a day in five years, that would be $1.4 million. And that would eradicate our mortgage as a church to free us from debt. A dollar a day. Compound interest over time. If you committed yourself to inviting someone who doesn't know Jesus to your house, to coffee, to lunch, once a month, 60 opportunities for them to hear the eternal message that Jesus loves them. 20 minutes a day with God would allot to 600 hours in his presence. So let me just close with the question, the phrase I gave you at the top. I desire me in five years to blank. How would you fill that in? What does the you in five years desire to be? And the amazing thing is you can make that blank wild. You can make it astronomical. You can make it so people would think you are one crazy person. You can make it seemingly impossible, but you can say in return, but I know the power of compound interest. I know the power of consistent change. I know the power of the spirit moving in me and through me each and every moment of my life. So that might seem crazy. That might seem wild. That might seem impossible, but I will not discredit what the spirit can do and wants to do in my life. An abundant harvest, a hundredfold because I commit each and every day. Church, I want you to know you are capable of change. You are capable of making a difference. You are capable of reconciliation. You are capable of reaching people. You are capable of giving generously. You are capable of serving sacrificially. You are capable of growing, of hearing the voice of God. You're capable of reading and knowing his word. You're capable of speaking to him in and through prayer. You're capable of hearing from him in prayer. You are capable of change in your life. Because it is not a strength of your own, it is the strength of his spirit living in you if you have stepped into the realm of faith. 
And so my question isn't, do you want to change? The question is gonna be in five years, how will you have changed? Because five years from now, we all will look different. Probably a little fatter up here, I don't know. We will all change in five years, but the choice is yours. Of which direction do you want that to go? So number one, does the spirit of the living God live in you? Have you heard that good news? Is your heart and soul good soil that wants to take root and produce fruit in your life? By grace, through faith, through repentance of your sin, you can have life everlasting. You can have an eternal kingdom, be part of a royal priesthood, be an heir, a son, a daughter to the most high God if you choose to say, I surrender my sin, I surrender my old way of life and I choose to follow Jesus with all that I am. And as soon as you have made that decision or if you have made that decision, the spirit of the living God begins to rest in you. One of the beautiful things about it is why we baptize people, it's a symbol. It is, a, it is a recognition that we have died to ourselves and we raised to life and the spirit of the living God now has taken residence in us. But do you treat the spirit of God like seed fallen on a path? Do you treat the spirit of God like seed fallen into rocky soil? Do you let the thorns and the weeds of life choke out what God wants you to do? Or do you sow consistently into the spirit and the good soil? Start small. Start consistently, but believe in the power of the compound interest of the Spirit in your life.